Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Of course, the same-sex marriage bill, which has passed the Senate, is this week being debated in the House of Representatives. Same-sex marriage is likely to pass the lower house as early as this week. So what are the practical issues that will affect every Australian? And the prediction of a harsh crackdown on Christians who will hold firmly to a Bible definition of marriage and family. Well, it's not just bakers and florists, but also the likes of religious institutions, charities and schools, and perhaps that includes both state schools and religious schools. Well, offering some insights today on issues surrounding the freedoms that we may be on the verge of losing, the Reverend Peter Curdy is joining us. He's a research fellow coordinating the Religion and Civil Society program with the Centre for Independent Studies. Peter's also an ordained minister in the Anglican Church. The program he works in examines the implications of a liberal approach to religion in civil society and investigates the capacity of that society to maintain freedom for expression of religious values. Uh, a little further ahead on 2020, we'll also welcome Senator Erica Betts. Uh, that's likely to come after Vision National News around about uh, 27 minutes from now. But a special welcome to 2020 to you, Peter Curdy. Welcome along. Thank you, Neil. Great to be back with you. Peter, always appreciate your insights into the issues that we're facing, and this one is uh, perhaps the biggest one ever, because what's happening really uh, today through our federal parliament in the lower house uh, is likely to see uh, the same-sex marriage bill that was introduced uh, by Senator Dean Smith. It's likely to see its way through into law. What are your overall impressions of what has been happening with the passage of this bill through the parliament? It's important to remember that 60% of people surveyed responded yes. They wanted to see a change in the, in the or 61%, they wanted to see a change in the law of marriage allowing same-sex couples to marry. So there's a lot of goodwill behind that, that decision on the part of the Australian people. 38% or, or 39% were opposed to it. So we know there's a, a substantial portion of the Australian people are not in favour. But we, what we also know is that an overwhelming majority of people are also concerned, both yes and no voters, about the protections of religious freedom. And one of the issues, the key issue that I think we're seeing now in, in, as this legislation passes through the Parliament, as you mentioned in your intro, is the way in which religious freedoms are being treated by parliamentarians. And I think this is a cause for, uh, for concern, certainly or at least a, a cause that Australians need to be vigilant about because there are a lot of people in Australia who have a religious belief and they want to live their lives according to the dictates of those beliefs and they want to be able to practice those beliefs and they don't want to be punished at law for, for having done that. 
So this is a big issue. Will, will the change to the marriage law impact the free expression of uh, of religion in Australia? That's the question. Peter, I suspect those parliamentarians that would be trying to maintain uh, areas of some of our freedoms uh, will put their hand up and say, I'm doing my best, but no amendments have been added to the Dean Smith bill so far. Do you think that politicians are doing their best? I think there is a group of politicians that's doing their, that's doing its best. Um, you mentioned Senator Betts, who'll be joining us later on. He is one of them. Uh, Kevin Andrews is another one. There, uh, Andrew Hastie uh, in Western Australia. There are there is a group of politicians that is concerned that is trying to get these uh, these protections in place. They're not having much luck at the moment. I think one of the issues has been. Uh, what I might call, if I may say so, varying leadership from from the Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, who uh, has always made clear that he's very much in favour of a change to the law, has said that he strongly supports religious freedoms, then seems to have backed away a bit from that. Uh, So we don't quite know where where the Prime Minister stands on this matter. Um, And I think that that this is given the opportunity for, for, uh, for those who are more conservatively minded about religious freedom to gain a head of steam. Quite a few commentators that I've been talking to about this very issue use or... Uh, endorse the use of the word betrayal here uh, when it comes to the Prime Minister and others who've put their hand up and said that religious freedoms are important and yet nothing has been amended in the bill. Uh, What about the use of that word betrayal? Is that a, a too strong a word? I think it is too strong a word um, because, first of all, the legislation hasn't yet been passed. Um, I think it is a strong word. Excuse me. I think it is a strong word, though, because it's a sort of a zero-sum game. You're either with us or for us, whereas I think what we can do is strike a much more even balance. Excuse me. I'm just clearing my throat. It's okay. Let's strike a much more even balance. Uh, on this matter. Opposition to protections for religious freedom is often based on the claim that in a society like ours, religion has no place at all, and there can be no privileged place for religion. In fact, in a secular liberal society like ours, there is a a protected private place for religion, and what we need to do is to uphold those protections. It's not giving exemptions is not uh, about enshrining discrimination as as opponents of religious freedom seem to be saying these days that if you make provision you're enshrining discrimination it's not so you're just ensuring protections for people whose beliefs uh, differ from that of the mainstream peter do you think that aussies have underestimated just how serious the loss of freedoms are likely to be and and of course we we haven't experienced what those losses are yet and uh, perhaps we're all hoping for a pleasant surprise that those freedoms won't be lost but do you think that aussies have underestimated the uh, likely loss of freedoms no, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of noise going, uh, being generated by, uh, by a lot of people in the media, frankly, who, who feel that religious exemptions are out of date and out of place in a secular society like ours. But I think Australians who are, you know, noted for their, their live and let live approach to life, um, recognize the need for people to have their, their beliefs and their religious practices protected. Religious freedom is not an absolute freedom it doesn't trump everything like you you what you can't you can't 
slaughter animals over over the street, uh, over a street drain, if your religion calls for that sort of practice. You can't, and this is the facetious example that's often used, I'll use it again now, you can't, if your religion teaches that you've got to toss virgins into, a volca- into an active volcano to placate the gods, you can't do that either. So religious freedom is not an absolute freedom, and it always has to be constrained by the bounds of, of the secular law. I think Australians are concerned uh, that the constraints are going to be drawn too tightly and make too much of an impact on that free expression. How do you think the law will respond when you have people who hold to a Christian uh, fundamental view of faith and uh, they're balancing what the Bible says about marriage between a man and a woman and what they may be forced to reinterpret into all of the settings of their lives, whether it be uh, charitable, religious, uh, school institutions or those businesses, how do you think uh, people are going to be able to to balance that and, and what the outcomes might be practically? I think the problem with law, the problem with anti-discrimination legislation is that it can be used to pursue gratuitous claims. Now, we have needed it for racial discrimination. We've needed it for sexual discri- for sex discrimination. There were wrongs that did need to be righted in society, and law has done that. I think that if we enshrine yet more provisions into anti-discrimination law, this is going to give a field aid to the lawyers, and people will, will, interpret, will, will base their claims on, an, on a narrow interpretation of the law and take it to the courts. And we'll end up with this being worked through over the years as 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 decisions are are reached and then appealed against and then reviewed and then you know case law builds on that that i think is going to be unhelpful we've seen this happening with section 18c you know gratuitous claims that have gone right through to through the courts only to 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 be dismissed i i think if we could just relax about our neighbors and relax about one another and trust that Australians are not going to behave in discriminatory ways, but just want to go about their lives and live their lives according to their customs, their culture, their religious beliefs, then everything will be fine. The moment we have law and people start to assert their rights in law against their neighbours, then I think it becomes a very contested and, uh, and, and we lead to a very contested and fractured society, I think. Peter, some will say there's a division on the homosexual side uh, which would say that uh, there are those innocent uh, homosexual people going about their day-to-day lives. Many didn't even want uh, the debate or change of the law to marriage. And then there is a more militant political homosexual uh, element uh, which is determined to hold Christians to some form of account. So the idea of, of hoping that everyone might do the right thing and uh, just relax, uh, some people are not so confident that's likely to happen. No, you're right. And it's true that activists, I think, are making this a, a much more fractious issue than it needs to be. Um, and I, I, when I was talking a few days ago to some old friends of mine, that they are, they are Christian, they are gay, they, have, they are living in a, in, a, in a committed and monogamous relationship, and they, uh, they voted no in the postal survey. And I was joking with them about this and saying that they'd managed both to be gay and, and bigots at the same time, which made them laugh a lot. 
because the idea that you, if you are, if you vote no, you are somehow a bigot, you hold a, a narrow and hateful point of view, is a, is a view that I think is being propounded by activists. And a lot of people are affronted by that, because you, you should be entitled to hold a sincere opinion about something without being condemned or vilified for holding that opinion. That sort of polarization, which we're seeing being driven by activists, I think is, is very, very unhelpful. And I think it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, gay and straight. Peter, you've been a long-time commentator, writer, campaigner for freedoms, and I wonder whether your impression about how we got to this point, it didn't just happen over the past two months. Uh, This has perhaps been building over uh, many, many years and generations. How do you reflect on the history and how we got to this point? I think a lot of it stems back to the emergence of human rights as a major political issue after the Second World War. Uh, so from the mid-century, although it didn't begin there, but this, this latest development, I think, can be traced back uh, broadly to, to those early years. The UN Declaration of Human Rights, which was passed in 1948, uh, gave rise to a number of other conventions, such as the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights in 1966, building on the idea that certain freedoms and rights needed to be enshrined in, in law as a protection uh, against the encroachment of the state. In the course of the 60s and 70s and 80s, we've seen the emergence of what people call identity politics, that is to say, where it's the identity of the group that trumps the identity of the individual, and that uh, group rights start to be asserted in order in order to protect diversity. I mean, of course, the irony is that it actually diminishes diversity. And, as, and we've seen this, as I said earlier, we, with some, some things did need to be addressed. Race needs to be, to be addressed. Sexual discrimination needs to be addressed. But increasingly, we're seeing every kind of grievance being, being, uh, being argued in terms of the defense of rights uh, and, and the preservation of dignity. And I think we've reached the point now where, where it's almost become impossible to express a differing point of view because someone somewhere will be offended by what you or I say and feel that they have a grievance in law about that. But I think it can be traced back to the early years after the Second World War in, in broad terms. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. We're talking about some of the practical implications of what will likely happen when the law changes to allow same-sex marriage. Of course, that is being debated right now in the lower house. The Reverend Peter Curty is our guest, research fellow coordinating the Religion and Civil Society Program with the Centre for Independent Studies. Uh, Peter, as we get into this part of our conversation, let's get into some of the nitty-gritty. And I suspect that schools are going to be a battleground, uh, whether that uh, includes uh, state schools and religious schools. But what are your thoughts on on the biggest battlegrounds? And are schools really the ones that in Australia we're likely to see as some of these issues arise? I think you're absolutely right to name schools. We talk a lot about, and the media talks a lot about, uh, bakers and florists. But those are cases that have arisen in the United States, and there's a case, in fact, now currently before the United States Supreme Court. In, in this country, I think it will be around what faith-based organizations, whether it's welfare organizations or schools, are able to do. Will a 
faith-based school, a Muslim school, a Christian school, a Jewish school, be able to teach uh, a position on marriage that conforms to that religious tradition, or will it be obliged uh, by a change in the law to uh, to teach, uh, to, to, to validate and teach same-sex marriage, even if it contradicts that particular religious teaching. That, I think, is a concern. I think that's the concern of parents as well. I uh, tend to uh, hear in the media people talking about uh, parents' rights when it comes to what changes might happen, whether parents can take their children out of a class that might be about, uh, the say, the Safe Schools program. But I also tend to feel as though people who could well be in the firing line here are actual school teachers uh, who might be called upon things to teach in their class uh, but uh, might be contrary to their own values. What are your thoughts about who is most vulnerable? I think parents can be vulnerable um, and but but they at the end of the day do have the choice of withdrawing their child and moving them to 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 another teaching environment if they wish. I think teachers certainly would be vulnerable. Is a teach can a teacher will it will will a school, will a teacher be obliged to teach something that contradicts their own uh, their own conscience or their own principles? Now, uh, it's an important question. I don't, I'm not saying that there should be no discussion. I mean, I'm not taking a position on this either way. I have to say, but I'm not saying that the teachers that in Christian schools should not. Um, in the interest of a good education, talk about same-sex marriage. But I think that's different from having to affirm it as being equal to uh, marriage as taught, say, by Christianity, the Christian church, or indeed marriage as understood by Muslims and Jews. So I think to be informed about same-sex marriage is different from requiring a teacher to affirm it as equivalent to, uh, to, to a faith tradition. And that's where I think we may find, the teachers may well find themselves under pressure. But I think parents also, who may be very concerned about what their children are being taught. And we've seen that already in other, kind of, in other disciplines as well. But this is a particularly important one because it goes to the heart of our society and the family and marriage, our fundamental social structures. Then there's the the balance or the difference, the contrast between state schools and religious schools and how both might be affected by this because, as I understand it, there are no real amendments that allow any uh, exemptions for religious schools. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on how things look as the, the bill goes through the, uh, the passage through the parliament? Well, of course, many faith-based schools are in receipt of state funding. So to argue that anyone who receives state funding should be required to comply with the law is a bit difficult because there isn't that same, it, there's not a clear demarcation between state and private schools if you look simply at the funding. Um, one could make a case for saying that schools in a secular society that are state schools that are non-faith-based should be or might be required to to. to teach a principal definition of marriage, a new, uh, this new definition of marriage. Uh, it's, it's slightly different for a faith-based school where the whole institution is informed by, uh, by the ethos of a particular religious tradition. So I think there is a difference there, but one would hope, I would hope, that teachers would be able to act in accordance with their conscience and, and not teach something that contradicts their conscience.
It does appear, though, doesn't it, that uh, even before any law passes, when you think about schools, uh, teachers are going to need to take some form of defensive position about the way they talk about marriage. And that in itself is impacting on freedom of speech, isn't it? If you've got to take a defensive position and you you can't speak clearly because of fear of some sort of uh, ramification for that, uh, it does create an, an, an impinging on freedom rights, doesn't it? Well, one of the things I think that is clearly happening now in Australia is that the, the very word marriage, the meaning of marriage is changing. Um, and it can only now be re- used to refer in part to the union of a man and a woman. It's now, if this legislation passes, marriage would also mean the union of any two people who want to uh, commit themselves to each other in, in a loving relationship. So the way in which marriage is being used, the, 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 the meaning of the word marriage is changing. And I think that's something that, um, that children need to be aware of. It, it's, it's a different form of marriage. I mean, it's still the union of two people, but it's understood in very different ways uh, by, by those who stick to a religious tradition, of, a religious understanding or a traditional understanding of marriage. Uh, Peter, schools are one area. Uh, There are lots of uh, issues at hand, uh, charities and their charitable status. Uh, These are uh, other areas of freedom which will likely uh, come under threat. What are your thoughts for charities? Well, we've seen this in the UK where Catholic uh, adoption agencies were forced to close because they wouldn't put children uh, or or young children up for adoption with same-sex couples. Um, because it contravened Roman Catholic teaching, uh, and they were forced to close. That this, this has already happened, and I think that we could imagine uh, situations here where faith-based health uh, organisations, such as hospitals or, or clinics or, or even aged care facilities, found that they couldn't make uh, they, they couldn't make decisions about the kind of service they wanted to provide to to to, to their clients because. They were there were obligations imposed on them by the secular law. That I think is we haven't yet seen that happening, but I think it's not hard to foresee that uh, on the basis of what we've seen in the UK. Just to quickly go through a number of different uh, issues that might be at hand. Uh, marriage celebrants. It looks as though uh, those who are already ordained and uh, in a church context and uh, officially marrying people might be able to say no to something that goes against their conscience. But those who are civil celebrants, they're not likely to have any sort of protections at all. Well, the Marriage Act of 1961 already does protect um, marriage religious celebrants, and I'm a, I'm a religious marriage celebrant. Um, I have my status as a marriage celebrant through my, the office that I hold in the church, um, and the, the Act does allow a minister of religion to, to refuse to marry somebody. So that protection is already in place. Of course, if you are a secular civil celebrant um, that protection i don't think uh, i don't think applies and you may well be required to to uh, to perform a same-sex marriage ceremony if asked to do so there could be an argument that those who held office before 
the the law changed um my they, they, there's a there's a, a case that they could make that that was not the legislation that they agreed to abide by when they became marriage celebrants i think that would be a weak defense but it is a possible defense but anyone who becomes a marriage celebrant after the law changes i think would recognize that they may well be required to perform a service if asked to do so uh, let's take a call or two let's hear from joseph hello joseph welcome along Oh, yes. Uh, hello. Um, I just want to make the point that, that as Christians, we follow a Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, but the um, seems that the Western world is following their Jewish Messiah, Karl Marx. A lot of this Marxist theology comes out of our, our universities, um, our elite thinkers. But if we take that to its extremity and look back over history, it all adds, leads up towards uh, gulags and death squads uh, for, for all those dissenters. Jesus Christ sets us free, breaks these chains, but chains, but the the the, the worldly um, Messiah, Karl Marx, will will bring us back under bondage again. So I'm just uh, Joseph. Let's get a, a comment from Peter. Uh, the idea of this cultural Marxism and uh, following along the way these ideologies do work into the system. Uh, your thoughts for Joseph? Joseph, I think it's an interesting point you raise, and I mean that people disagree uh, amongst themselves about what Marxism actually means. But we can understand it broadly as about about being uh, the means whereby oppressive structures are dismantled so that people can live freely. And one of my concerns uh, is that that the traditional family is seen in some quarters as such an oppressive structure which needs to be dismantled in order to to liberate people. Um, and I think you are right that, that, that Christians have, a, have a, a particular view about that and that we need to be confident about proclaiming the view that we hold and not to feel cowed. I mean, I have to say I feel optimistic about, uh, about Australia. I don't think, I mean, I know we're anxious about this change, but I think uh, the Australians are fundamentally very decent people and, and, uh, and are bound by, you know, guided by common sense. And that for Australian Christians to be able to speak confidently and openly about what they believe to be true is something that will be, that will be respected. And it, it, there are truths, in my view, that need to be proclaimed and need to be heard. We've been hearing insights today from the Reverend Peter Curti, a research fellow coordinating the Religion and Civil Society program with the Centre for Independent Studies. Peter will remain with us, but I want to introduce into our conversation today Senator Eric Abetz the Liberal Party Conservative Senator from Tasmania. And uh, I wish, uh, I'll just, uh, Peter Curdy, uh, just uh, a, uh, an introduction to uh, Erica Betts. Uh, uh, you know each other already, do, do you? We've corresponded, Neil, and it's great to be on the panel with you, uh, Senator Betts. Well, Peter, uh, good to be on a panel with you as well and look forward to Neil's questions. Well, Senator Abetz, let me just ask you your impressions of what's going on as this bill passes through the Parliament. Uh, last week, there you were there in the Senate, and I know you were fighting for freedoms and amendments to be added to the Dean Smith bill, and none of those amendments got up. Uh, are you optimistic that there may still be opportunity for some amendments uh, to go through in the lower house? Neil, you never say never, but I think uh, it will be exceptionally difficult for some of the freedom amendments, as I call them, to be carried in the House of Representatives. That is regrettable. Um, sadly, in relation to the amendments, the Labor Party and the Greens always voted as a block, 
and uh, then with a few Liberal Party senators uh, joining them, that meant that uh, the amendments uh, that were being moved by myself and my colleagues uh, were not successful, and I suspect the same will happen in the House of Representatives again uh, this week. And what I would simply say to you and your listeners that... uh, the vote by the Australian people for a very simple question, which was uh, in relation to same-sex marriage, did not provide a licence for the Parliament to then diminish other people's well-established rights in relation to uh, parental rights, in relation to the moral education of their children, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and one which I would have thought was a no-brainer, which was to uh, ensure the protection of charities and the wonderful work that they do within the community, that they, should they hold to the... on. Uh, should they be ongoing in their view that marriage should be only between a man and a woman, that their support of government funding, etc., should not be prejudiced in any way. And uh, I was told that this was just a matter of baseless fears and... I asked not once, not twice, but three times the Labor Party and Green representatives in the Senate to, if they're going to vote against the amendment, at least give us the assurance that it is their very strong view that this will not impact those charities. And they sat there mute. They refused to answer my question, which does concern me as to what might happen in the future in relation to those wonderful charities and uh, it's one of those things and we can't cry over spilt milk but I'm sure if the Australian people had actually been told these things that Labor and the Greens would just sit there quietly in the face of potentially charities uh, being undermined in this regard uh, there may have been a different outcome but look we've got the outcome that we've got and the task now is to seek to protect uh, those fundamental rights that are well established. Senator, how significant is it that there is now a separation of talking about these freedoms uh, and there has been a review that has been set up that reports early next year, Uh, but the significance of the separation of talking about freedoms from the Marriage Act uh, and uh, you, were, of course, wanted the Marriage Act to reflect a sense of the uh, the endorsement of the freedoms of Australians, but how significant is it that there is now a separation? Well, one, the significance is that uh, changing the Marriage Act does have flow-on consequences, which was vehemently denied throughout the debate and uh, in the lead-up to the vote. It's now accepted that there are and will be consequences, and I would have hoped that we would have been big enough as a parliament to acknowledge that there are consequences and if it's only about two people being able to get married, then nobody should have had any objection to put in amendments to say, um, yes, parental rights remain the same, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the rights of charities to hold certain views, none of that is changed and just to make it absolutely sure, we will of course wave through all these amendments. The fact that the amendments were so vehemently opposed um, is a matter of concern uh, for me and should be a matter of concern to all your listeners. 
And might I add, a lot of people who were voted yes have put their hand on my shoulder and say, have said, Eric, sorry to disappoint you, but we voted yes, not because we really believe in it. We were just sick and tired of the issue and wanted it to go away. And we thought if we voted no, the campaign would just continue unabated. And so I've tried to convince my colleagues that uh, just because the Australian people by a substantial majority, uh, voted in favour of change. It didn't mean that they accepted that these rights should be just brushed aside. Uh, let me ask you about some of the division between you and your colleagues. When we uh, talk about the Attorney-General, George Brandis, uh, he initially was confident that there would be protections in existing laws to protect religious freedoms, uh, but then he wanted to include a uh, a, uh, a declaration in there that would simply affirm uh, freedoms. That that was not allowed. Do you know that he is now wondering what has happened as well because he hasn't been able to introduce any amendments either? Well, the amendment moved by uh, the Attorney-General was, if I might say, with no disrespect, about as soft a statement as you could have got. And the fact that that was voted down as well is what genuinely concerns me about the consequences of this debate, that uh, the idea that uh, people should nevertheless be able to have the freedoms, which, might I add, all the people that advocated for a change in the definition of marriage over the past decade or so have always been given freedom of speech. They've been allowed to advocate for their cause. Now, once the change is made, which I suspect will be made later this week, those of us that would argue that the definition of marriage should have remained the same and you know, sometime in the future possibly it might go back to it, can be faced with being brought before discrimination bodies and that is something that uh, is, I think, the big uh, show changer because what it shows is that you... Uh, well, the freedoms that we took for granted and the liberties that were given for the yes case... Uh, over the past decade will not be reciprocated to those who continue to hold to the no case. Eric Abetz, uh, commentators on this program have expressed the idea of betrayal uh, from the uh, Turnbull government, uh, from the, uh, the coalition, because uh, of these amendments not being allowed and uh, an apparent uh, not fighting so hard to make those happen, even uh, to, the, to, the, to the idea of, of siding with Labor and the Greens. Uh, is there, in your view, a betrayal that may have happened in senior levels in the Liberal National Coalition? Neil, look, uh, that sort of language of betrayal is uh, you know, pretty strong language. Uh, I won't adopt that, but suffice to say that uh, I was disappointed to learn that some of my colleagues were willing to go across the divide and talk to Labor and the Greens to achieve an outcome that they would never have been able to achieve if they would have raised the issue in the party room. So, for example, in the Senate, in very rough terms, it was uh, 18 votes in favour of the amendments amongst Liberal senators, uh, Liberal National Party senators, 
and about six uh, against the amendment. So what's that? Uh, roughly three quarters of my colleagues um, were of the view that those amendments were important and if we could have stuck together as a coalition, uh, we might have been able to achieve more protections. And that is what I said uh, immediately the result was known. The people have voted for a change. Do you then just you know, drop the blade on the D10 bulldozer and just bulldoze forward? Or do you take a step back and say, look, actually 38% of Australians voted no because they were concerned. Is there any way we can ameliorate and alleviate their concerns by putting a few amendments in so that same-sex marriage will still be delivered for those that voted yes, but the concerns of the no uh, voters are also taken into account? And sadly... Uh, there was sort of this uh, approach that you just drop the blade on the bulldozer and put it into drive and go forward and uh, disregard the concerns of a significant minority uh, in this debate. And I find that regrettable. Uh, but that's the way the numbers have uh, worked out. And uh, I fear that that is what the result will be when the House of Representatives finishes dealing with the matter. And you indicated it is likely to happen this week. And uh, before I let you go, because I know you are under time pressures, uh, is it at all possible that it may actually not be passed this week and that it could be put off to a time in the future? Look... Anything is possible, as I said earlier on, never say never, but uh, I would have to describe that scenario as highly unlikely. And uh, I just hope my House of Representatives colleagues understand, and some of them I'm, I think have not fully uh, examined the result as I think they should have done, because in rough terms, those people that voted, 38% uh, said no, 61, 62% said yes, but 20% of Australians didn't vote at all. So within their electorate, one assumes if you vote yes or no on the bill or in favour of amendments, that section of the electorate wouldn't worry. The 38% who voted no would, of course, be very supportive. And I have a suspicion, and uh, I think I'm right on this, that a substantial number of the yes voters would have no difficulty at all if these protections that are being sought were put into the legislation, given that the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition both said um, that religious freedoms are important and a lot of the yes voters have sort of fessed up to me to say we voted yes just to get rid of it and those yes voters would not be upset at all if there were extra protection. So that is why, to my mind, the Australian's news poll uh, was reflective and accurate, not only of the yes vote for changing the definition of marriage, but in the same poll, which accurately reflected the outcome, people were asked about the protection of religious and other freedoms, and that got an even higher vote and support in the survey than uh, did the changing of the definition of marriage. And in those circumstances, in those circumstances, uh, I would have hoped that more of my House of Representatives colleagues would have felt comfortable in voting uh, for those fundamental amendments, which would, I think, uh, 
relieve the stress of a lot of the no voters. Well, Senator, I want to thank you so much for taking some time and you are under time pressures. Uh, You have only a few minutes remaining before you'll be called back uh, to uh, your responsibilities. Uh, Senator Eric Abetz, uh, Liberal Party Senator for Tasmania, thank you so much for being with us today on 2020. Can I quickly take the liberty of uh, having a few extra seconds to wish all your listeners a very blessed Christmas and all the best for 2018. Senator Eric Abetz and continuing our conversation drawing some loose ends together and some comment on the Senator's uh, expression of uh, the way that he sees things happening uh, just ahead with uh, the Reverend Peter Curdy. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on Vision We're talking about religious freedoms. We're talking about the same-sex marriage bill. Uh, Time is running short. Uh, The Reverend Peter Curti is our guest. But let's take a call. Uh, Let's hear from Arthur. Arthur, uh, Arthur, where are you calling from? Uh, Mount Druden, Sydney. Uh, Arthur, what what are your thoughts quickly? Uh, Well, look, uh, actually, it's more just a bit of a question. uh, Two, three parts. Uh, One is... Had, uh, I was watching Q&A and uh, a comment was made, it's not a theocracy. Um, so my question is, how do we make laws uh, that where people aren't concerned about any religious uh, kind of uh, understanding? And, and I was also interested in what uh, Senator Abet said. Um, do you think that the Parliament, uh, if, if they've passed a law, the same-sex marriage, shouldn't they really be compelled to um, uphold the rights that are already uh, established? Oh, well, let's get a response. Uh, Peter Curti uh, on Arthur's comments. I think that's a very good um, question, Arthur. The, the way in which law is made in a secular liberal society like ours is, is important, and, and we don't live in a theocracy. I think religious points of view have a bearing on some matters of public policy and, and not on others. Where we draw the line is a really important one. I think marriage is one such issue where there does need to be religious input or people need to be free to express a religious point of view, but we're not run by bishops, we're not run by, by the mullahs, thank goodness. Uh, we're, a secular, we're a secular democracy, but I don't think that means that religion has to be completely excluded from the public sphere. Okay, I'll say uh, thank you so much to Arthur for your call. I will need to draw a line under any other calls, and there's a number who've uh, sought to get through, but we won't be able to take any more today. I wanted to get your impressions as we draw some loose ends together on uh, the comments that were made by Senator Eric Abetz. Uh, Peter Curdy, you were taking a note or two while he was uh, talking to us. What are your thoughts on, uh, on his expressions? I thought Senator Abetz made some really important points. Perhaps the most important one was that many people who voted yes did so, assuming that religious freedoms would be protected as well. The uh, yes to same-sex marriage was not a, a no of a no vote to religious freedoms that many people <clears throat> have uh, have hold very strongly to the importance of re- upholding religious freedom, and they want to see those freedoms continue to be upheld. I imagine, though, some people will say, uh, because that is the obvious case, people want religious freedom, and all of a sudden it's been detached from this bill, that someone ought to be to blame here. And uh, there's a reluctance, of course, uh, if you're on the conservative, uh, centrist, conservative side of politics, that you don't want to blame anybody because it's not politically uh, an expedient thing to do. But, but who is to blame for that, do you think? 
Well, I think blame, a bit like betrayal, is a rather strong word. I think, as the Senator said, this is just the way the numbers are. These are the members of the, of the parliament that the Australian people are ele- elected, and uh, they're, they're doing the job that they believe they need to do. The thing is that every Australian has a vote, and or every Australian of a certain age and capacity has a vote, and that parliamentarians will be held to account for that. Because I think what we're seeing is a significant shift um, in, in, in another age, we assumed that the individual had liberty and the, the state had to justify its coercion and its encroachment on that liberty. We're rapidly moving into a situation now where we assume the right of the state to coerce and we have to justify our individual freedoms. That, I think, will make a lot of people very uncomfortable. And Peter, how do you, as a Christian believer, have an optimistic outlook, given that there has been this change and now there is a coercion that's coming from the state. Uh, How do you optimistically approach the changes that we're about to encounter? I believe very strongly in, the, in the, the providential goodness of God and that these things will work their way through society. We've seen it already happen with 18C, for example, which was heavily legislated and very contentious. It's still on the statute book, but the, st- the sting has been drawn from it. I think we may go through a difficult and even turbulent period, but I think that, the, that these, these issues will work through and that the innate decency of Australians will prevail in the end and I believe that we're all under the under the you know the realm of God's providential reign and that all things will be well and Peter your work is with the Center for Independent Studies and there are a lot of people uh, writing about a lot of different uh, uh, issues there and from different standpoints Uh, no doubt you'll be writing some more on issues to do with freedom in the coming months Uh, how do people access some of the things you write the website is cis.org.au, that's cis.org.au, and um, you can find all the materials that come out on the Religion and Civil Society program there, um, where we really defend the place of religion and the contribution that religion makes <clears throat> in, a, in a secular, uh, liberal, open society such as ours. Okay. The Reverend Peter Curdy, Research Fellow, coordinating the Religion and Civil Society Program with the Centre for Independent Studies, that website cis.org.au. Peter Curdy, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts, your understanding and your heart with us today on 2020. A great pleasure, Neil. Many thanks. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.